Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Jerry Springer. Oh, my word. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. A huge, huge, adoring crowd here at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in beautiful downtown Ludlow, Kentucky. Yes. Uh, hey, by the way, we're going to have on, we had them on last week, and they are amazing, Joe's Truck Stop. And so we asked them, could they come back? They're from the greater Cincinnati area. It's so just come great back. bluegrass, they pillow. It is great. Oh, and they're two it. late 20s guys uh, who are part of this Joe's Truck Stop group. They have an album out called American Dreams. I'm going to hold it up for Facebook Live. I urge you to check this out. You can, you can contact Folk School Coffee Parlor and get one here in Ludlow, Kentucky, or just go online. Their Bandcamp website has it. You can order it a lot of places. Yeah. We urge you to check out American Dreams by Joe's Truck Stop. It's summer, Jerry. I don't know if you notice that, but we're into summer. Oh, where yes. have I been? I don't know. But uh, when I picked yes. you up, you're wearing a leather jacket suitable for, you know, maybe 45 degrees. So I didn't know if you yeah. realize it is summer. But I paid a lot for the jacket. It's so a I beautiful thought jacket. Get some I use it. Beautiful yeah, I ought to get some use but, out of it. So yeah, summer, well, it's different climates. I'm, I'm, no, I know. Because yeah. you fly. You, oh, my gosh. You're all over the place. At that altitude, it's cold. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't close the window, <laughs> no, you're going to freeze. You're going to freeze your ass yeah, off. I always yeah, close the window. Maybe even on die. If yeah. that mask drops out, put it over your face, pull the elastic thing yeah. around your head. Okay, now, um, so it's summer, and usually in the summer, we check in with this guy who approached us a year or two back. Oh, right. He has a website, yeah. and I urge you to go to it. It's askthelifeguard.com. It's a website yeah. if you have questions of a lifeguard. Yeah, and, and who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> I don't. But... The weird hook for this guy yeah. is that he has a doctorate. I checked it. I called Rice University Ooh. in Texas. And he really has a doctorate? He has a Ph.D. in medieval literature. I can't even spell medieval, much less yeah. I understand what it's about. Yeah. So this is what's crazy about this guy. So he's lifeguarding, and he, uh, I've noticed that there is a, uh, yoga has become huge. And so you go to a park, I was at Washington Park over the weekend, there were probably 200 people there with an instructor on a microphone doing yoga. Right. You go to a beach scene these days, go down to Hilton Head on nine o'clock in the morning, there are all these people out on the beach and, and yoga clothing and they're doing yoga. Oh yeah. So this guy, I hardly you have ever to, miss you have to feel sorry it. for what? this lifeguard yeah. who, resents, I'm sure, why he has to lifeguard when he has a doctorate in medieval literature. There's so many jobs. Yeah. So he started this thing. I've been reading some local papers online on the interwebs, and he has started <laughs> this thing yeah. where he gets people together around his lifeguard stand, and he's giving lectures on Beowulf and doing readings and stuff. And I, mean, I just imagine that. No, and I can't imagine that. He's doing that. And, and, and then, that, that gets a crowd. I, I will have to ask him, but there's a huge controversy that popped up. According to this article I read, there was a riptide. He yeah. was on one time on our show talking about what you do in a riptide. I remember. And he got beckoned out by two probably high school age kids, and there's controversy about the rescue. 
Oh. He did apparently wasn't going to bring them in. And I saw I made contact with him and said the story didn't go into details as to what the controversy is in this rescue. Oh, and we're going to ask him now? I think is we that got it? him. Do, do we, we have, have him on the line? We have the lifeguard. Hello, lifeguard. Hello, ask the lifeguard. There he is. There he is. Oh, my gosh. That's how he answers the phone. He answers the phone. Always ask the lifeguard. <laughs> ask the lifeguard. Gosh. Hey, um, what is Hello, the- Chief and Cherry and the ever-lovely Megan. Yeah, well, yeah. Megan's not here. She's, uh, uh, I don't know. Actually, she had a job. Yeah, she, I mean, had a, yeah, she has a she has a regular job, which pays better than this job, way better. So way she's better. out doing a training on forklifts or something, and which yeah. is, by the way, seriously what she does. Yeah, I know. Among other things, she yeah. knows she's a trainer. Okay, uh, what was the controversy about the rescue? Well, I I really having trouble with the audio here at Bayswater Beach. Okay, uh, Bay there's a lot of lightning and thunder. And it's uh, ranging angles and sections here. So it's kind of distorted. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we hear you fine. Yeah, you're coming through great. Okay, well, as you know, uh, we moved up here to North Carolina after that summer solstice fiasco we had last summer down in South Carolina. I don't know if you remember that, where we were giving people air mattresses to go out and watch, watch the eclipse of the sun. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that we still talk about but, it. Uh, we're up here. We got a brand new beach. We're calling it Bay Wolf Beach, and the reason we call it that is uh, every day at ten a.m. we do what we call Bay Wolf Yoga, where uh, people do their stretches and bends oh. and contortions. And uh, meanwhile, I recite Bay Wolf with my lifeguard bullhorn. I like it, man. This is something so, I gotta see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we're trying to do is make make the uh, visit to the beach kind of a cultural experience. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I think Jake mentioned that there's a little bit of a controversy about a a recent rescue we had. What happened? Well, uh, let me explain our new rescue system. It's a three-tiered method. <laughs> The first chair is, is what we call the qualifying defense. Now, that's pretty easy to qualify for because all you have to do is be drowned. Okay. So if you're drowning, you qualify. Okay, is, good. It's when we get to the victim, mm-hmm. we have the, what we call the qualifying question, uh-huh. which this is a very basic question about Anglo-Saxon literature, usually about Beowulf, and uh, they have to answer it to be safe. Oh, oh, man. The way it works is we don't let people drown. But we ask a question, like these two girls, there's a kind of a controversy about it. The, the first girl, I asked, who was Beowulf's father? And she answered, of course, the answer is yes, though. Mm-hmm. So we put her on the, the uh, correct answer surfboard mm-hmm. where you get towed in in great comfort with ice water, Wi-Fi, and so on. <laughs> but, but the other girl, I asked her, what was the name of Rothgar's e And that's really simple. All these questions... 
have been certified by the Medieval Academy of America. So we're not we're not pulling any punches here. No, I can tell. But she she didn't know the answer. Oh. So the way we brought her in, because she didn't answer correctly, is uh, we dragged her in while she desperately was clutching <laughs> a rescue buoy. But we we still bring them in. So. Uh, and there's controversy because of that. Well, the controversy is is after we saved them both, the girl who didn't know the answer is required to write an essay about the discovery of Cotton Vitellius A15, which everybody knows was discovered in the Cotton Library and is the original Beowulf manuscript. So what, what else can I say but... Now she'll know, and next yeah. time she's drowning, yes. I'm sure she'll be she'll get to in go on, on the nice surf with all the comforts. Yeah. Well, good for you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for clarifying that. And uh, put we'll put this on our website and the Jerry Springer podcast. I think you'll agree, Jerry. We support this three-tiered system of oh, ocean yeah. rescue. And thank I just you. want to add one thing, and maybe it wasn't very good at this. Yes. But I'm sure she'll do it now. Megan, always swim with a buddy. Always swim with a buddy. That's right. That's his slogan. Yeah. All right. Let's hear yeah. it for Ask the Lifeguard. And there that you is, go. Yeah. Of all the things we do on this podcast, that's really helpful to people. That's uh, yeah. something that I felt when we started the podcast, we made a commitment to. Let's do some good. Yeah. We want to do some educational stuff. Don't just stuff. joke around no, and talk no. politics. Yeah. Do something good. So, um, yeah, I like that. Askthelifeguard.com. Check it out. And uh, the site's a little thin on details, uh, but if you're listening now, just pop, take your phone out and go to askthelifeguard.com. I wanted to ask you something, Jerry. Uh, You travel around, give a lot of speeches. Uh, I've seen at times you doing that, do a great job at it. And all kidding aside, Jerry is uh, in demand, as we say to come out and talk about politics and culture, et cetera. Sometimes, by the way, they'll blend your experience with the Jerry Springer TV show, lasted for 27 Mm -hmm. years, still going on, and with politics. So you got asked by a journalism, professional journalism group that had gathered in the Midwest to speak on uh, celebrity and politics, if if I'm not, if I'm correct, that's what it was. Why they would ask me. (laughs) Right. No, uh, that's right. They wanted me to speak about the uh, what seems like a phenomenon at this time about celebrities going into politics, et cetera. And, um, and, and I did. And I guess the point I w- was making, well, first of all, I started off with the disclaimer that I wasn't a celebrity that went into politics. I started out in politics and went in the other direction after being in politics for 10 years then I anchored the news. I went into journalism for 10 years. Um, and then from journalism, that's when I went into entertainment with, with the talk show. It's, now that I think about it, it's probably worth mentioning the transition period when I went from uh, being a councilman and mayor of Cincinnati, then the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati hired me to do the news. And... What is relevant about that is 
I didn't really, I wasn't that interested in anchoring the news. You know, I was still political, so I was more interested in doing commentary. And the station that offered me the job, the NBC affiliate, they were behind Mork and Mindy in the ratings. I mean, they were fourth in the ratings, way at the bottom. And they were looking for something to jazz it up. And they figured, well, if they had the mayor suddenly become the news anchor, people at least would tune in. So I understood the commercial aspect of it. But I wanted to do commentary, and so we worked out a deal where I would agree to anchor the news, but at the end of every newscast, I would be allowed to do a two-minute commentary. And I did that for 10 years. And I really enjoyed doing it, and it, frankly, was pretty successful that we got to be number one in the ratings. And, and I was, frankly, known more for doing my commentaries than for actually anchoring. The reason I just raised that right now is uh, maybe I should feel a little bit guilty about it. Because at the time I did it, we never, it was almost unheard of that a news anchor would do commentary. Stations had editorials, but it usually was given by the general manager or the station manager. It was never the guy who was doing the news. There was that wall. When you do the news, it's supposed to be, that's the way it is, it's supposed to be objective. And then if there's an opinion, someone else gives their opinion. And I think myself and a fellow in Chicago, I think it's uh, Jacobson, I think was his name, uh, we were the only two anchors in the country that were also doing commentary at the end. Now, in hindsight, and I'm just thinking of this right now off the top of my head, I mean, this is not anything I initially planned to talk about, but it's really relevant to what's going on today. At the time, I remember really being focused on being as objective as I knew how to be when I did the news and saving my opinion for the commentary. And by the way, my commentaries weren't partisan in the fact where, you know, I never said vote Democrat, you know, beat up on Republicans. I never did that. I was liberal because that's what I am. So my commentaries always were kind of liberal or very liberal but they never were partisan in terms of who to vote for. But nevertheless, for example, during the news, when I talked about President Reagan, I didn't raise my eyebrows and go, oh, you won't believe what Reagan did today. I, I did it as straight as I knew how to do it. And then when I did the commentary, that's when I opened up to be what I believed. The point I guess I want to make is I believe I was as objective as I know how to be. But in truth, I'm a human being. I wonder how objective I really was. And isn't that one of the problems we have today, where all of a sudden cable news shows started out being news and we started to mix up where all of a sudden it's hard to tell the difference between news and opinion. So even though I was very happy to have this job and do it, and I did it sincerely as best I could, but I don't know if that was a very good idea. I mean, every human being has opinions, so you're never going to get total objectivity. But at least you kind of want to know watching that the person who is giving you the news isn't preparing for later on in the program to, to give his or her opinion. And that may have been what ultimately then 
transformed into cable news and now this whole issue of fake news or whatever. So I was part of that, what turned into a movement and not even aware that I was. And honestly, this is the first time I ever even thought of that issue. But anyway, so I went from uh, politics to news and then I wound up doing show business because the company that owned the station I did the news in also, news on, also did talk shows, Phil Donahue, et cetera, and Phil was retiring, so they hired me. All right. Now, having said that, I don't believe there's a phenomenon about celebrities and suddenly being in politics or suddenly being a president. My point would be that American presidents with very few exceptions, and usually because of an assassination and somebody slips into the office as a vice president, America's always voted for famous people. It's just that in the first century and a half of America, the, the celebrities, the famous people were generals, military heroes. And, you know, during the 19th century, virtually every one of them Tippecanoe and Tyler, too, you know, Andrew Jackson, you know, Grant. You know, they were military heroes. And in the 20th century, obviously, Eisenhower. And then after Eisenhower, John Kennedy, and we talked all about his exploits with the PT-109. And um, George Bush, the, you know, uh, the 41. And he was a military hero when his plane was shot down. And, and, and so that always was one of the ways that, people became famous. Well, now all of a sudden, because of technology, and that is the difference, the technology of the last 50, 75 years is what has changed American politics. Not the idea of celebrity, we've always had famous people, but the fact that technology has increased the area of what we now consider famous. And the person who best could learn this new technology got to be dominant. When radio came along, Franklin Roosevelt, the fireside chat, his voice, you talk to people older than me, the generation before me, families would gather around the radio to listen to this incredibly comforting voice of Franklin Roosevelt he was the father figure. He would get us through the Depression. He would get us through World War II. He mastered radio. No one was better on it than him. And then came television. And television, we immediately think of John Kennedy. And it wasn't just Kennedy, you know, we talk about the debates, but his whole use of, you know, of you, the um, televised press conferences. He knew how to use television. And we had the Kennedy family. We had Camelot. Television permit. He used television and it drove Nixon crazy. In fairness, even though, you know, obviously we know what happened with Nixon, but Nixon was a highly qualified person. But he lost to Kennedy because Kennedy mastered television better than Nixon did. And so, and also Ronald Reagan. Now, we now tend to look at Reagan and say, oh, he was in those great B, you know, B movies or whatever, bedtime for Bonzo. And, but the truth of the matter is that Reagan became a major force in America 
because he hosted a television show called the General Electric Theater. And on Sunday nights, he would be the host of it. it they always had some drama. And he would introduce it. And sometime during the course of the show, he would give some kind of a conservative message. And his, you know, and he had this great television presence, this avuncular kind of uh, voice. And, and, and he would talk, give the message of General Electric, which was very pro-business, conservative, free enterprise, because what General Electric wanted was um, everyone to buy their refrigerators and washing machines and stuff like that. And so they, they wanted all legislation, everything that would help business. And Reagan would travel the country. They paid for him to go on speaking tours where he gave his conservative message and all the while selling General Electric products. That's how America got to really know Ronald Reagan. They weren't voting for him because, oh, he was the guy in bedtime for Bonzo. So he mastered television and was phenomenal at it. Then technology advanced more, and suddenly we had social media. Barack Obama never would have been president of the United States, never, if we had not had cell phones. Think about it. In 2008, there is no way the Democratic Party establishment would have said on its own, why don't we have an African-American be our candidate for president? No hindsight now. Just imagine America at the time. It never even was thought possible. But because of social media and cell phones, Barack Obama was able to operate outside the party. He could organize outside the party. He could uh, raise money outside the party. He raised millions and millions of dollars, and he did it on the Internet. He did it with websites. He did it on, I don't even know the technology, but they would have meeting places where you, where you would say you show up, and everyone showed up, and people on their cell phones. He totally was able to get this massive campaign, Grassroots, because he was the first candidate to really master the internet and social media. And now, of course, the next generation, here comes Donald Trump and Twitter. And by the way, until before I get just to Trump, every one of these improvements in technology also carries with it the possibility of abuse. So television was masterful. It was wonderful. But also television could be abused. And so what we've had is a generation of two of televised commercials, which are horrible, which, you know, say how every candidate is horrible, scandalous, etc. And so we've grown up as a generation that hates politics, hates Washington, hates government, because television has convinced us of that in the commercials. And now we're seeing with Trump, as Twitter becomes possible, what Donald Trump was able to do, which was history will show was masterful, is he was able to reach the public outside of the mass media. He was able to create his own reality. He could talk to the voters every single morning 
He didn't have to worry about news anchors or reporters reporting bad news about him or raising eyebrows. He just talked directly to voters, and he could tell them anything. And then other countries, Russia, whatever, can come in and they can have their fake blogs and fake news or whatever. So he's learned how to use that, and that is being abused, admittedly. But that is, so Donald Trump isn't president just because he's famous. There are a lot of famous people in the media. He is president because he is the first one to figure out, maybe it was by luck, but figure out, that using Twitter can create a whole new universe. The abuse of this is that this generation, we now all have to figure out how are we ever going to figure out the truth anymore when we are just deluged with fake blogs, foreign country interference, made-up news, on the internet, constant lying on the Twitter accounts. We have to figure this out now. It's a great way to reach voters, but it doesn't guarantee that what you hear is going to be the truth. And that is the hurdle America faces now. All right, uh, we've been uh, joking a little bit about Megan. Megan, uh, a third member of our team here, our cast, is a, an HR professional, and her job has taken her uh, off to do some trainings, and usually she introduces the musical guests. I'm happy to fill in, anxious to do it. By the we, way, you're doing a great job, Gene. Thank you very much. Yeah. Let's hear it for Gene Galvin. Yeah. Ooh. No, please, please, please stop. You <laughs> got that. Uh, anyway, we have uh, Joe and Andy, uh, uh, Joe Mashrat and Andy McFeeters, and they are part of Joe's Truck Stop, and Joe is the Joe from Joe's Truck Stop. And again, I'll hype their album. It's called American Dreams, and you can get a lot of places online, Bandcamp, website, and a lot of places here. You can, if you're local, come into Folk School Coffee Parlor. I bought mine here, and it's, a, it's really cool. They were here last week. We begged them, would you come back? They said yes. Joe and Andy, do us a song. Tell us what you're going to do. We're going to do a song called The Banjo Pickin' Tobacco Spittin' Gal that I heard. The reason we're playing this is because I heard the story from a friend of mine that lives here in Ludlow, Paul Malazzo. He used to date a lady who was a mean <laughs> banjo player but had a gnarly dip habit. So I wrote this song. It's called The Banjo Pickin' Tobacco Spittin' Gal. She smells real good like TV dinner She's always polite like you just met her She don't believe it, Jesus says she knows better She's my banjo picking a back spitting gal When she gets high on apple pie She'll bring up shine that'll make you wise She's a renaissance woman with a nasty lip My banjo picking a back spitting gal She rips a five with a lip full of dip She'll pick some fine half shaking your hips She don't give a damn and she never will She grows her own tobacco way up on the hill And she's coming it's hard to resist such a natural charm She's big and strong, stands up straight She's my banjo picking a back and spitting gal yeah. 
she loves to sing. You all see it yourself. It's no everyday thing. All that dip, it don't get in the way. Don't fly her to mouth. Well, I wish I could say, but Lord knows. It's sight to see. How does she sing so too with so few teeth? Well, call that a scientific anomaly. She calls it that. She's my banjo picking a back spinning gal. She rips fire with lipo dip. She'll fix fine every shaking your hips. She don't give a damn and she never will. She grows her on the back way up on the hill. She loves me good. Loves me ragged. Don't want to say too much. Don't want to sound like I'm bragging. I'll just leave it at that. My story about my banjo picking a back spinning gal. That's Joe's Truck Stop. If you're anywhere around yeah, uh, Greater Cincinnati, you got to hear these guys. In fact, tell us a little bit about both local and beyond. Uh, where where you headed these days through the summer? Uh, we got a lot of regional dates planned. We got a bunch of local stuff. Originally, we we're playing Indianapolis, Bloomington, and uh, Louisville next month. And the month after that, we'll be hitting. Bunch of cities in Kentucky and in Tennessee and Asheville nice. area. We got a bunch of regional. And stuff. this is Great. Joe. This is a relatively new band. In the last year or two, would you say how, how long? No, this band is actually seven years old. Is it really? Maybe eight years old. Wow. It started, I didn't that. but it wasn't my band when it started. It was called oh. Joe's Truck Stop. Okay. But it wasn't my band. Yet, yeah. Yet, you know. Yeah. Uh, and over the years, things progressed and. You know, and it became my band. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, this was that was Thank great. You. Appreciate yeah. it. Very, very good was, writing, and uh, there was a little bit of Johnny Cash, uh, boy named Sue, in it. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah. It's always got to be a little Shel Silverstein. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Uh, take us out on down by the riverside, would you? And uh, Jerry would uh, do the second verse with you, if it's okay. Right, we're gonna do it in A this time. Oh, good. Oh, hey there. <laughs> They're switching. I, I'm, up. Just help, I'm helping you out here. They're switching yeah. the chord. Is that the key? No. All right, here we here go. go. I'm gonna lay down my head low down by the riverside. Listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.